singing because there's some amazing doctrine in some of the Christmas carols reminding us of that Jesus is not just a little baby born in a manger. He was God in the flesh. And uh, amazing that God would send, I don't know what a myriad is, but there was a whole lot of angels uh, to recognize his birth and even a cosmic occurrence, uh, one star to lead the wise men. Amazing things that God did to prove, to show to us that uh, this little baby in the manger was his son, the Savior of the world, and God in the flesh. So, Would you stand with me as we start our service? We'll pray together, and then we're going to sing some great Christmas carols together. <clears throat> Father, it's uh, going already in the world, the whole world, um, going crazy for Christmas now. They're, they've got all of the sales going and all of the things you can do for each other, the cars and the TVs and the everything we can buy and, and swap and give and show how much you like one another. And they're forgetting that... Uh, the day is celebrating Jesus' birth. All of time recognizes it went from before Jesus to after Jesus. The world recognizing that was the total difference in time and in this world. Before you came and after you came. And yet, we've let this Time becomes something that's just all about presence and giving and trees and whatever instead of how much we love you, how amazing that you could somehow come in the flesh, that a little baby laying in a manger was God incarnate, and that you came from the instant you were born, you, they knew that you were going to one day be the Savior and die for all of us to pay for our sins. We praise you for that. Just help us that we would make this day, this season about you and not about all these other things. Mm -hmm. Use the songs today to remind us of how much you love us, how much we should love you, and what we have in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to start with angels we've heard on high. Um, glory in excelsis Deo means glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains, and the mountains in reply, echo back their joyous strains. Gloria, in excelsis Deo, Chelsea's day, oh, 
joyless jubilee, why a joyless strains prolong? Say what may the tidings be, which inspire your heavenly song. midnight or not or if it was midnight when the angels got there but it's a pretty song to think about that night the the shepherds in the field just taking care of sheep ordinary night all of a sudden the sky is full of angels and they found out that Jesus Christ the Savior of the world has just been born amazing <laughs> and they were shaking and their knees were shaking shaking right out of their socks probably it came upon a midnight clear. It came upon a midnight clear that glorious song of Angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men from heaven's all gracious Beside the weary road And hear the 
Christmas carol that we probably don't sing a lot. It's very beautiful. Uh, some of the words in it, uh, I think, Israel's strength and consolation sounds like what uh, the uh, prophet said when he was in the temple and they brought the baby in. He recognized when he was holding the baby. This is Israel's Savior right here. It must have been an amazing thing that God had told him. He wouldn't see death until he got to see the Savior. Come thou long expected Jesus. sing a lot infant holy infant lowly or his bed a cattle stall (laughs) 
This is a hymn. It's it's in a written in a minor key. I guess it makes it sound sad, <laughs> but it's uh, it's actually taken from the um, the melody for it is like an Irish, um, not a lullaby, but just a soft air. That this like um, you would sing. It remind the 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 idea of the of the uh, Christmas carol reminds me of like the sound of music. The hills are alive with the sound of music, and and I wander as I wander. It's about somebody wandering through the glades and meadows and thinking about the fact that Jesus would come and die for him. I wander as I wander. As I wander out under the sky, how Jesus the Savior would come for to die for poor horny people like you and like I. I wonder as I wander. Jesus' birth, when Mary birthed Jesus, twas in a cow stall, with wise men and farmers and shepherds and all, and high from God's heaven the star's light did fall. The promise of ages. It then did recall If Jesus had wanted for any we think A star in the sky or 
a bird on the wing or all of God's angels in heaven for to sing he surely could have had it cause he was the king I wander as I wander out under the sky How Jesus the Savior did come for to die For poor ordinary people like you and like I I wander as I wander Our reading this morning will be out of Isaiah, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> so that's Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I, have, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these verses just um, reminding us of how you revealed your righteousness and uh, just how it convicts us, Father. And we praise you for that. We praise you that you give us the ability to see this and um, just your righteousness through Christ and faith in him. And uh, we are here today to hear your words and uh, to remember and to change, Lord, and be more and more like your son. We praise you for this time and ask that you'd strengthen Steve and give him clarity on his teaching and open our ears to hear it well, Lord. And we, uh, we just uh, wait for your work in our lives, as always, through your Holy Spirit, through your word, and your preaching of it. In Christ's name, amen.
Good morning. It's good to see you all. It's been a few weeks. I want to say thank you for your prayers for myself and, and my wife. I know that you are doing that. And, and, uh, but anyway, the Lord is good. We are here together. Um, there's notes back there, but the date's wrong. So, but anyway, we're continuing on with the Beatitudes. It's a, a short, powerful, important message that Jesus gave to the disciples. And of course, we are his disciples too, so he gave it to us. Three parts to each beatitude. First, God wants to, in general, bless us. That's the first point. The second thing is the condition that needs to be met so that we can be blessed. And the third point, then, is the specific blessing that God has for us. Turn to Matthew 5. I just want to read through these first seven verses. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Matthew 5, 1, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Then to verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Today I want to look at verses 7, eight, seven and 8, those two beatitudes. Last time, a few weeks back, we talked about this, this, last, this one beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And I want to just review a little bit, because I shared a little bit about that time, and then share some more thoughts on it as well. Very, very important. In fact, what you're going to see here as we move ahead is there's Two main thoughts today. One, the first beatitude relates to your relationship with people. And the second one then relates to your relationship with God. Extremely important truths and points that God wants to understand. So anyway, first of all, I want to define mercy. It means being charitable. It's doing good for others. It's being kind. It's giving to those who don't deserve it. It's giving to those who are helpless and hurting. It's compassion in action. It's shown by genuinely helping others who are in need. Second point is, is, is we all know that we're to love people in all kinds of ways, and mercy is one very specific way that we can love people. And mercy, then, is that which acts because there is a need. Somebody's hurting, somebody's in trouble, somebody's going through a trial, somebody's struggling, whatever it might be. Mercy acts because there is a need. The third thing is we have the example of Jesus, and, and he met our need for forgiveness by dying on the cross, by paying for our sins. And this is very one very specific way that, that, that God, through Christ, showed his love to us by having his son die to pay for our sins, that is, by showing us mercy. So when you think about what Christ did on the cross, that really was a, is probably the greatest picture of mercy that we've ever seen in all of the world. And the fourth thing I want to say is this, is God continues to show us mercy as we go through life. That verse I mentioned last time, you look at the translation in Psalm 23, 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. If you have a King James, if you read that, you'll see the word mercy is used a lot. And that's the correct translation. That's really, it's, it's his meeting our needs is what it is. 1 Timothy 1, 2 says grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus. Grace is a very general, broad word, how God wants to give to us and help us, and mercy is more specific. And so we see with this first word, grace, and then mercy is, is one aspect or one kind of grace. 
grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ. Well, look at some more thoughts about this mercy because it is such an important truth for each one of us, practical for our lives. First point here is that justice, justice must come before mercy. That is, God's justice must be carried out by Christ, by Christ's death on the cross, before he can show us mercy. God's justice shown on the, you know, on the cross through Christ before mercy. So God's justice then, you see, opens the way then for God to show us his saving mercy. And once we then experience his saving mercy, then God can show us mercy all kinds of other ways throughout our lives. So the first thing that God did is showed us his saving mercy, and he continues then to show us mercy for the rest of our lives. Secondly, as Christians, we need God's mercy every day of our lives. That's why that verse, surely goodness and mercy follows me every day. You need God's mercy all the time. Physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, spiritually, you need the mercy of God. You really, really do. You need mercy to, God's mercy to be patient, to be kind, to be forgiving, and to be merciful, and to really then live the life that God wants you to live. We need God's mercy to do the work he wants us to do. We're to be ones who love people. We're to be ones who serve others. You need God's mercy to do that. Next, we need God's mercy as we go through trials. You all have trials. You all have difficulties. When you're hurting, when you're struggling, you need the mercy of God. And next, um, we need mercy when we sin against God. It's interesting because Psalm 103, you're not going to read it, verse 10, talks about how God doesn't discipline us as much as he could. He doesn't chasten us as much as he could for our sins. We all understand that God's wrath upon us was taken care of by Christ, but there's still this disciplining act of, of God upon us when we sin. And we see God's mercy. He, he's sort of nice to us, if I can say it that way. He doesn't always chasten us then as much. And let me say then, God wants to give us mercy. God wants to give you mercy. Please understand this. God is not reluctant. He's not grudging about giving you mercy. He really, really wants to give you mercy every day of your life. Please understand that. That's the kind of God that we have. This one verse that goes with that then. Let us, let us um, uh, draw near then with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. So we see again that thought of need. You're a needy person, and you need, the, in general, the grace of God. And specifically, as it says there, you might find mercy and grace. Specifically, you need mercy. You need the help from God that he wants to give you. Next, we must experience God's mercy before we can be merciful to others. Lamentations chapter 3, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never, see his, never cease. His compassions never fail. And so then God daily shows us mercy. And as we experience God's mercy, then we can be merciful to others. I believe you know that verse in 1 John 4, 19 that says, We love because he first loved us. We can show mercy to others because God first showed mercy to us. And this mercy that we're talking about, of course, is, is, is not a natural attribute. You know, some people's personality are more you know, kind and gentle in that way, merciful, let's say. But we're talking here about a spiritual attribute. It is a gift of the Spirit. And, and so very important to understand that it's the work of the Spirit in you that enables you to do this. Fourth, if you show mercy to someone, because it says, blessed are the merciful. We're talking about your relationship with people. If you show mercy to someone, don't expect them to show mercy to you. Expect God to show 
mercy to you. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That receiving mercy is what we're talking about. It comes from God. Not that God might use, not use somebody to then show you mercy, but you must see that it comes from the Lord. That's what happens. Think about Jesus. You know, you think about his life, going around day after day, showing mercy just thousands and thousands of times in this three-year ministry. I mean, you know he did. He just kept meeting people's needs, all kinds of needs, spiritual and physical. He met people's needs. But did he receive mercy from all those people? No way. There's no way. But you know what? God kept showing mercy to Jesus in ways we can't even comprehend, that God kept encouraging his own son with his own mercy. That's indeed what, what happened. And so, and there are times, I'm sure, when, when, well, I know there are times when God prompted others to show mercy. In fact, I was thinking of this one example. It's Luke 8. It says, um, it's, when, it's talking about the women who were helping Jesus. It's all these women who were contributing to their support, that is to Jesus and the disciples' support, to their support out of their private means. So there, there are these people being merciful to Jesus and disciples, you see. So God then was using these people, and I'm sure it happened in other ways as well. But the point I again want to stress is you be merciful, expect God then to show you mercy. So do that. That's, that's God's desire for you. Next, the true character of mercy is that you're giving yourself. It's a giving thing. It's a sacrificing your life. As I said before, it's, it's compassion. It might be giving time or food or money or just giving yourself. It's serving and helping somebody in need. That's what we're saying here. It's meeting a need in a person's life. It's somebody who, helping somebody who can't help themselves. It's doing something for somebody that they can't do for themselves. A person then who is merciful is, is thinking of others, is considering others as more important than himself. Philippians 2, 3 to 4, talk about that. Don't Regard, just, regard others as being more important than you. That's, one of the, that's an important component of mercy. That is seeing yourself as a servant of others. Seeing others as more important than you then is that which is necessary for you to be one who shows mercy. Turn to Luke chapter 6. I can't remember if I read through this or not. Luke 6. Good little section on mercy. Luke 6 verses 30 to 36. Luke 6.30 says, Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. That's just a great little command to sum up what God wants for your life to this mercy. But here we see we're to be merciful even to our enemies. You might all, I don't know all of you, but have people that don't really like you for whatever reason, um, whatever it is, and you're to be merciful to them, whatever that looks like. To those who've hurt you, we're to be like God himself and give unconditionally to others. That's what we are to do. And again, you're not to expect anything back, just like these verses say, but you expect God himself then to give to you. This then is true Christian love. James 2.13 Mercy triumphs over judgment. Unbelievers don't deserve mercy, right? 
But did you receive, did you deserve mercy before you were saved? No, you didn't. Unbelievers deserve to be condemned, deserve to be judged. But what does God say for you? That's not your job. That's not your role. Jesus says, or the Lord says in, in, in Romans, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. So when you think about that, we all have people we may not get along with. You might even hear about some, somebody in the news or whatever, and I don't like that person. You know, I wish God would judge them. Your, your heart should not be that way. John 3:17 talks about Jesus came here for the purpose of, of showing mercy, of wanting to save people from their sins. And so too then with people, whoever it might be, God wants you to have the attitude of wanting to show mercy. Leave the judgment up to God. Okay? That's, it's a very, very simple thing in that verse. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Showing mercy to someone can have a very powerful effect on their lives. I'm not saying it always does, but it can have a powerful effect on their lives. And you think about it, I mentioned this before, Jesus was going all over the place, nation of Israel, he was showing mercy, really probably every day of the week, just continual mercy. And this then, and this is the application, it's so simple and so basic, is God wants you to have the attitude, as you go out this week, I'm gonna show mercy to people. I wanna show mercy. Now, some of you might say, well, I'm going to have a goal every day to show mercy once. I don't care what you do there, but the point is, have this attitude in your heart. I want to show mercy to people, and that's what I'm going to do. This is very, very practical. It could be a phone call. It could be a gift. It could be just talking to somebody, helping them. It says, in their time of need, whatever that might be, just an encouraging word. So have this attitude. Have this mindset this week, the rest of your life. I'm going to be merciful. Like Jesus said there, I'm going to be merciful just as your father is merciful because you are a child of God and God wants you to live like your father. That's what is definitely true. This promise, it's a good little promise, Proverbs eleven seventeen. The merciful man does himself good, but the cruel man does himself harm. We, we've said this simple promise, you be merciful and, and, and then God will be merciful to you. Here it says, the merciful person does himself good. That is, you'll be blessed. This is a great promise. You'll be blessed if you're a selfish person. To, it, 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 it says harmful to you, okay? So in conclusion, just three things. Know that God has been merciful and is merciful to you, will always be merciful. That's the first thing. Second thing is be merciful to others. And the third thing is know and expect God then some way, somehow to be merciful to you. That's it. That's the lessons. Remember, God's merciful to you, and, and, and then be merciful to others, and then expect God then somehow, some way to show you his mercy. The next beatitude, let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. I said there's really just two, two themes here, your relationship with people, your relationship with God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Very simple. As I thought about this, I thought, man, you spend a lot of time in this one verse here, but we're just going to spend a little time. It's extremely important. And, you know, we can try to rank these Beatitudes. You know, which ones? This is one of the top ones for me. It's, it's so important, talking about your relationship with the Lord. Let's first define the word mercy or pure. It means to be clean. It means to be uh, holy, to be undefiled, to be clear. It's, it's, it's defined that way to you, like a clear pane of glass. You've all seen that. Matthew 23 talks about, they're using this word, talks about cleaning the, the, the dishes. In Matthew 8, this word pure is talked about how Jesus was cleaning or 
purifying the lepers. But, but the, the way this, this ver, word pure is used in the New Testament here is primarily talking about having a clean heart, talking about having a clean soul, having a heart that is cleansed from sin. That's how it's primarily used. There's other examples of cleaning things physically, but, but here it's really used in more of a spiritual way. Now, there are verses in the New Testament about those who are saved, who are born again, those who are made righteous, and a person who just gets saved is one who now has a pure heart. Okay? There's also verses about how, as Christians, we need to grow in righteousness, how we need to grow in becoming more and more holy and right in our relationship with God. So there's, there's two ways to look at this verse here. Blessed are the pure in heart, relating to when you get saved. Blessed are the pure in heart, relating to the, your growth, your life as a Christian. I want to talk about both of them just a little bit. First of all, our relationship, uh, our salvation that is. Um, Acts 15.9 refers to our salvation when it says, God made no distinction between the just, between them and us, cleansing their hearts by faith. That word cleansing is purifying. Titus 2.14 says, Christ Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself, a people for his own possession. So that's the old idea. Salvation means you're pure, means you're clean, means you're holy and righteous in the sight of God. Go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, 4 to 7. It says here, when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appear, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. There's that word mercy again. According to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. So we have the word washing, purifying, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So it's by the work of Christ and by the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart then that we're justified, that we're made holy in the sight of God, that we then are ones who are washed and cleansed from our sin. And the result, what it says here, and this is a, a result of being cleansed and righteous, that we can see God, that we can see Christ. And of course you know this doesn't mean we see them in a physical way, but in a spiritual way. And, and that's powerful. We see God spiritually, spiritually seeking. It means, it means that you know that Jesus is God, that he is holy and loving, and that by his death, by Christ's death and resurrection, then you are one who is forgiven. You have eternal life. You have this relationship with God. And when you get saved then, you're at that moment just beginning to see God, just beginning to have this relationship with him that lasts forever and ever and ever. I was thinking of John 4, you know the story about the woman at the well, and here's this woman at the well, unbeliever and she's with Jesus and she can see him with her eyes right she can see what Jesus looks like and she can see the clothes that he is wearing you know she can probably see that he is tired it's probably all evident she sees this but you know what happens she becomes a believer she gets saved at that time or shortly thereafter and then she can see Jesus spiritually she sees him she knows that he's the Christ that he's the Messiah that he then is her Lord that's what happens she sees him spiritually and, and, and so then she was just then beginning to see him, just beginning to know him, as it says there in those verses, just beginning to drink of the living water and experience this eternal life, having this relationship with him. So that's just a good picture there. But, but I want to look at verses that speak not just of being justified, not just of being uh, 
you know, saved and having a pure heart when you get saved, but of what it means to know Christ in a deeper way, being sanctified. Verse 2 Corinthians 7, 1, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The word holiness is that same word pure that we're talking about. So God wants us to be spiritually cleaning ourselves. That's what he wants. As he's talking about there, we, you know, cleanse ourselves. And this is a very important practical thing. We're just going to talk about briefly here. God wants you to be cleaning yourselves. You all know what it means to clean things. You know, you clean the house, you wash the dishes, you wipe off the counter, you sweep the floor, whatever you do. You all know what it means to clean things, you, you know, clean, do the laundry. We all understand that. In fact, let me say this at this point in time. Some of you guys are very good at being clean, okay? I mean, you're, that's one of your strengths. You're like, you know, you're 90th percentile. You're way up there. And that's good. That's fine. That's fine. But you know what? And that's for you who really like things clean. And for all of us, you should want to have a clean heart more, much more than anything else in the world. That should be your desire. Man, I want to have a clean heart. I, I want myself to be cleansed. Again, I'll, we need a clean house today. I got Is your heart clean? Are you cleansing yourself? This is powerful. This is very, very important because it relates then to seeing the Lord, which is talking in then about your relationship, God. That's what we're saying here, very, very simply. So we're talking then about keeping our soul cleansed from sin. And we need to do this then to be holy, to be righteous, and then to see God, to have this relationship with him. Turn to Romans. I've read this before. I might have read this a few weeks ago. I, I, just, I just love these verses. It's hard to read good verses like this too much. Romans 8, verses 12 to 16, talks about cleansing ourselves. Romans 8, verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. That means cleansing yourself. All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God, for you have not received the spirit of slavery, slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So you see this connection here, purifying yourself, and you, know, you, you call Father Abba, which is a, an endearment, term of endearment. So the whole idea then is, is you need to be holy so you can have this relationship with God. And it says this by the Spirit there. Pointing to that. Nothing, not live according to the Spirit. So you think about this life and, you know, again, you all have things that are going on, things you're doing, and, and sometimes the mind can think, oh, what can I do to help my flesh out? You know, whether it's food or whatever. God says what's most important is your Spirit. That's, that's, that's what we're saying right here. And so, First John one seven. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. This then is talking about our day-to-day -day life. And again, we're talking about cleansing ourselves. We talked about the importance of the Spirit. Here we're talking about how you need to be confessing your sins to the Lord. And, and I will say this. If you're going through life and there's not some kind of confession going on in your life, I'm not saying it's got to be all the time, but if there's not confession going on, then I'm a little bit concerned. Are you really seeing the sin? Are you really being sensitive to the Spirit? That's very, very important, confessing 
our sins to God. And this then is, 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 the, key, is the key to live in a life that is righteous and holy and a key to see in God. And it is by the Spirit. We, we all know the phrase the Holy Spirit, which very obviously means one of the primary duties of the Spirit is what? Make you holy, right? Because the Holy Spirit wants you to be holy, so the Holy Spirit then wants you to be holy so you can have this close relationship with God. Turn to, I should know this word, turn to 1 John 1. I'll read these verses here. We're talking just briefly here about being holy and keeping ourselves holy and clean. 1 John chapter 1. In verses 1 to 3, well, it was from the beginning what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Two main points there in that last verse 3 there. It tell us, tells us that one of the results of, 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 of walking in the light then, which we read about in verse 7, is that we then can have fellowship with God, this relationship with God. What we also see in verse 3 is that God wants us to have fellowship with one another. So you think about the Christian life, it's one way to sum it up. Fellowship with God and fellowship with the believers. It all relates then to having a heart that is holy, a heart that is cleansed from sin. That's, that's what we're saying. 1 Timothy 1.5, I want you to, it's just a short phrase. I'm not sure if it's, just turn there. Turn your Bible to 1 Timothy 1. I want you to see this. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I want to focus on the first half of this verse. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. Three key words there. Instruction, love, and heart. Okay? So what we need to see then is this, is that, that you love God and you love people because you have a pure heart. You can't love God. You can't have this relationship, this fellowship with them if you don't have a pure heart. How do you get a pure heart? From instruction, from truth. You see? See that? Three main, main point, important points. Have the Word of God in you so you can have a pure heart, so you can love God, and you can love people. Another verse similar, John 17, 17, Sanctify them by thy truth. Your word is truth. We know the word sanctify is another way to say make them holy. Make them holy. You know, we're talking about how to be cleansed from sin, and the Word of God is, is, is essential. The key to being sanctified here, as it said, is to be in the Word of God. We all understand, you know, some of you, especially you ladies, you understand what kind of cleanses you like. I know my wife, she's got this favorite one. She's been using this last year. If you want to ask about it, you can. That's a cleanser. Okay, you, you clean things, whether it's dish soap or other comet or there are all kinds of cleansers. You go to that part of the store and there's all kinds of cleansers, okay? The Word of God's a cleanser. It's a cleanser. That's what it is. The Word of God. And if you're not in the Word of God, you're not going to be clean like God wants. You're going to get pretty scummed up, pretty dirty, okay? So it's a key. 
and, and the key to being sanctified. And what's the result of being sanctified? We saw this then in 1 Timothy 1. The result of being sanctified is that you then will see God. You'll have this holy and close relationship with God. That's what will happen. Turn to Ephesians 5. Twenty-five to twenty-eight. This uh, section of verses is about the marriage, but we're not going to go through it all here. But you have to understand this set of verses in relationship to the church, to Christ's relationship with the church. It's like they're sort of weaved together. You know, and in some ways you could even say that a marriage is a mini church, okay? Christ like the husband, the church like the wife, okay? We could say that. But let me just read these and I'll make a couple, couple points here. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Okay, let me, let me put this together. Sales is the same thing, okay? That, that God, Jesus Christ, wants us to be cleansed. And it's through the washing of the word. Okay, very simply. That's one of God's primary objectives for your life is for you to be cleansed on a regular basis from sin so that you can then have that close walk. You can then see God, have that relationship with him. That's what we're talking about here, this, this cleansing. Okay, very, very important. But then we see is also one of the primary purposes for the husband. What's the husband supposed to do? I, I would say his number one job, that's really important. He needs to wash his wife with the word of God so that she then can be holy and pure. So she then can have a close walk with God. So the husband, think about this. The husband's primary objective is to help the wife have a close walk with God. Not a close walk with himself, which would be a corollary if she has a close walk with God. She will. But he should see that. My job as the husband is to wash my wife with the word. That is what I want to do because then she can be close to God. And, of course, she'll be close to him too. So we need to see that. that is, it is so important. So, so, so important there. We continue on. A couple other verses. Hebrews chapter 12. This is quite strong here and clear. The same basic theme here. 1214, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Again, that phrase, see. We're talking about blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Then you see that word sanctification, be holy, be pure, so then you can have this close relationship with God so that you can then see him. So, so this is saying that the sanctification, being holy and pure, being cleansed from sin is, is a key. It's absolutely fundamental to having this close relationship with God. It tells us the same thing. And so the writer of Hebrews is very clear. When he read it, it says, says, says the sanctification without, without which no one will see the Lord. 
person doesn't have a clean heart, he, he can't have a close talk with God. It's, it's just not possible. He can't see the Lord, you see. So, so what happens? If you think about this, we talk about this cleanser being cleansed, being cleansed from sin so that your eyes are clear so you can see God. It has a, a dual effect, this cleanser, the, the washing of the word. Cleanse you from sin and then at that same time enables you to see the Lord. That's, that's what we must see here. So I, I, I hope this is a motivation to be in the word of God, you know. I'm going to clean the kitchen today and use some cleanser. Well, you're going to get in the Word today, get your soul cleansed, you see? It's, it's, it's so, so important. I'm talking generally speaking because there's all kinds of ways we can be cleansed specifically because there might be some area of sin that is, that is that's, you know, got a stronghold. So there might be certain verses that you apply more to your life to be cleansed and you're just working on those verses, you know, and it's like that cleanser. You're rubbing and rubbing and rubbing that cleanser to get that thing clean and you're using this word, particular verses, to cleanse your soul in some particular area of sin. So we can talk about very generally, but also very specifically. Let's now talk briefly about Enoch. This is a really amazing example. Enoch walked with God. We know that. We read that in, in, in Genesis. We read that in Hebrews 11. He walked with God, that, which means he had a very close relationship with God, right? But I want you to, I want you to turn to Jude. This is uh, was it the last epistle before the book of Revelation. Yeah, it is. Jude, verses 14 and 15. I want you to see this here. So we, we think about Enoch walking with God. What else did he do? 14. It was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I don't, I don't know. I probably should figure this out more going back to the Bible. I don't know how long before Noah and the flood came. I don't know how many years it was that Enoch was there. But there's no doubt the sin in the world was being evident. And Enoch could see this. And what was he doing? He was preaching against sin. And he was warning them, hey, you're going to be judgments coming upon this world for sin. That's what's going to happen. So let's just back up. Let's get the big picture about Enoch real quick. Enoch then was what? He was a holy man. He hated sin. He was preaching against sin. He said, you better, better repent or that's, that's it. You're done for. So the point is the connection between Enoch being this man who was holy, who hated sin, and who loved God and had a close walk with God. You must see the connection. He had a close walk with God because one reason, he hated sin. We also know we walk by faith. or read that in Hebrews 11 itself. But it, it, the holiness and, and the walking by faith, the keys in for that. I just want to mention a few things here to help you be more holy. We're talking about being cleansed from sin. Again, it's so important. And we talked about, again, some basic things here. But first one is what I've already said before, that John 17, 17 is, is get God's word in you, for it will have a cleansing effect on your life. Or meditate. We talk about meditating on the word. That it means meditation really is, is one way to say it. It's the transformation of your thought life. If you don't meditate on God's word, get God's thoughts in your mind and heart, then you cannot be transformed in your thought life and you'll be thinking about worldly things and fleshly things. So it's, it's, it's the word of God. It says in, in Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? We understand that. So that's the first thing, and I think the most basic. Second thing is, is uh, Psalm 
139.24 says that verse, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there's any anxious way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So the next thing is just is, is to pray. It says, God, Holy Spirit, help me. And, and it's a sincere thing. And, and you, this is so simple. If you are sincerely asking God to help you to grow in holiness, he will do that. You know what might happen when you pray that? All of a sudden, the the crud starts coming up. Oh, I don't want to see that. Well, you want to be holy. I'm showing you where there's some problems in your life. It's sort of sediment that's sunk to the bottom of your life, but I'm stirring things up for you so you can see it, so you can get rid of it. So, very important. Ask God to help you. 1 Corinthians 11, 28, another one. A man must examine himself, and in so doing, he's to eat the bread and drink the cup. And practically speaking, was talking about communion. There's this 1 Corinthians 11 context, that communion chapter is, is before you come on the first Sunday of the month and we have our time together and have communion. You should do this. You shouldn't. And we have a little prayer. I understand that. I, you know, bow our heads and pray and make sure. And I say that little verse in Psalm 39. Before that time, whether it's that morning or the day before. Really, this is very important. And I'm not saying just once a month. I mean, hopefully it's not once a month examining yourself, but this, this self-examination, thinking about your thoughts, thinking about your words, thinking about your deeds, thinking about your lifestyle, this will be helpful. This will be helpful. Next, being around godly people can have a purifying effect. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, you know what it says? This is, uh, you know, don't be around bad company. Don't hang around bad people, because what's that going to do to you? <laughs> it's not going to be good for you. It's going to be bad for your spiritual life. We know that. So the point is you don't do that. You want to hang around good people. Hang around good people will have a positive effect on your life. And next is learn from Bible characters. I, uh, we all have different examples, and I mentioned Enoch's a good one, but I, I like David because there's so much written about David, and I think he's one of the best examples we have. You read the Psalms, and you read First Samuel and Second Samuel, and, you know, all these you know, things about David. Yeah, he sinned. We know that. We understand that he sinned. But, boy, he loved the Lord. And he got his heart right. You read Psalm 32, Psalm 51, those chapters that are written by David about the sin and God helped him to deal with it. So we have that great example. Turn with me just a couple verses that he, other verses. Psalm 24, 3 to 6. Psalm 24, Three to six. It says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who is not lifted up to his soul to falsehood, is not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face even Jacob. Then we go to Psalm 27, just a couple chapters later, verse 4. One thing I've asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house all the, day of my, all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. So behold the beauty. I want to see the Lord. I want to see his beauty. That's what I'm doing. That's what I want. That's what I'm seeking. You see that desire of David. And of course, he realized and, and, and some of still learn this, is that God, your relationship is, is the most important thing there is, right? So why in the world do we take time to 
mess our lives up with the junk of this world. There's all kinds of bad stuff out there. Bad stuff on the computer, bad stuff on TV, bad stuff, all kinds of play. You know that. Why in the world do we ever do that? Well, we have flesh. We get deceived. We understand that. So we, God just wants us to, to learn to love him and know that seeing him is most important. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Again, this is talking about your relationship with God, and your relationship with God is the single most important thing in this world. Is that other phrase we use a lot is, is eternal life. Having this close walk with God, seeing him clearly, seeing him for who he is and what he's like, and then desiring them to grow in your relationship with him. I want to just close with just a couple more verses. Again, familiar ones, but talking about David's, his Psalm 63, David's relationship with the Lord. Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, you are my God, I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I've seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you and so I will be bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. Father, we thank you for this time. Just two thoughts. Those who are merciful and then see your mercy, Lord, and those then who are ones who are pure in heart and see you. Boy, this is really important. I mean, we, we talk about important lessons. These two are very simple, but very important, very powerful. I, I pray, Lord, first that each of us would see this for our own lives, the needs for these two truths that we talked about to be real in their lives, and then help them, Father, to grow in these areas. Lord, they think about their week and what's going on. Well, just help them to think about these two truths, being merciful and seeing your mercy and being pure in heart and seeing you and knowing you, growing in their relationship with you. So we ask you that for this church here, each one, those who aren't here, those who are listening online, we pray for all them. But this is what we want. We want this. These are very, in fact, practical during this Christmas season, every month of the year. But this Christmas season, we talk about peace and love and joy. And these are really important here. So, Father, thank you for each one here. Thank you for your love for each one of us, God. And you have each of us at a different place in our life and teaching us and helping us, Lord. We know that. And I just ask you to encourage each person here. Help them, Lord, to walk by faith, Lord. Help them to live a holy life, Lord. Help them to be ones who are serving you by then serving others, doing the things you want them to do. God, just lead us as a church. We thank you so much again for who you are, what you do. Indeed, you're so kind and loving to us in so many ways. And we just ask again for your blessing upon us, that we might then be a blessing to you. And thank you for Bethel. Pray for them too in their lives, Lord, and just pray that your hand is upon them. But we just, again, pray all this in Jesus' name now. Thank you again. Amen. Well, this time of year, we uh, uh, cut back a little bit on our activities uh, so that we can spend time with family as Christmas gets closer. Uh, we had our Matthew meal last Sunday. That was a good time of fellowship and food. And uh, 
this uh, Wednesday, we'll have our Prophecy Bible Study. Um, and then the following Wednesday, we'll have a sing-along with Bethel here at 7 p.m. in the evening. So that's uh, two Wednesdays away. And then that third Wednesday, the 27th, we'll have Thanks and Praise Time, uh, 645. So uh, three, Wednesdays, three Wednesdays, we'll have a little bit of activity. But other times, spend that with your families and enjoy that time. And uh, just wanted to r remind everyone we do... Uh, have some tracks um, available in the church on the table back there and so forth that you can use to show the reason for the hope that you have in Christ. Um, as you're spending time with family and friends, keep in mind that tracks are one way to, to uh, share the hope. And uh, now we'll have our last songs and our offering. And uh, offering-wise, you can give in the box in the back table or mail it in or give online. Thank you. invite you to stand as we sing our last uh, two songs, our last two Christmas carols. First one is a very beautiful one. Um, everybody should know this one for sure. <laughs> Away in a manger. I'd, I'd like to share um, when, when we first, when I saw this, uh, as God has given me a lot of songs and things to write, it's kind of fun. I was looking and trying to write another verse to this I think we sang it one time when I sang it before but I wrote another verse to away in a manger and it's uh, the it goes the shepherds had come to the Bethlehem fold and found there the Christ child just as they'd been told they knelt by the manger that cradled a king and worshiped the Savior of whom angels sing that's the whole message of this away in a manger was the shepherds everyone that came to that place recognized even though it's a little baby laying in a manger somehow that was God in the flesh away in a manger Jesus, I ask thee to say. 
goes by me forever and love me i pray bless all the dear children in thy tender care and fit us to heaven to live with thee one uh, this is the go get them song right so it's go tell it on the mountain you know when the shepherds the angel all these angels appeared to them they went to the to the manger they saw the baby what do you think they just went home and went back to sleep or went out in the field and, and just took back with the sheep and stuff what do you think they did the bible says they went everywhere telling anybody who would listen about what the angels had told them and what they had seen and that's a good message for all of us at Christmas time because the world has a totally different view. And we should not be ashamed to say, Merry Christmas, Merry Jesus' birthday. <laughs> this is what it's all about. Go tell it on the mountain. Tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Oh, tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. While shepherds kept their watching, or silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. Jesus Christ is born. The shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed our Savior's birth. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and Jesus Christ is born Down in a lowly manger The humble Christ was born And God sent us salvation That blessed Christmas morn Go tell it on the mountain Over the hills and everywhere go Jesus Christ is born. Benediction, Psalm 11, the last verse says, For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, the upright will behold his face. Amen. Amen.